<laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. You can grab your seat. Nathan, did you manage to get those pictures sorted? Awesome. Uh, just a bit of an encouragement, you know, as an Equippers church, we are a global church. And um, before COVID set in in 2020, I visited the Equippers church in Ghana in the January of 2020. And I really clicked with those guys. Uh, it just went off. You know, everything I said they were, was, was touching lives there. And, and I was literally the only white man in the building. And, uh, but I, I really connected with them. They came up to me and said, Pastor Barry, we love you. We know that if we cut you open, you would bleed black and it was so lovely the connection so ever since then for nearly two years now I've, I've, I've had a fortnightly zoom call with Pastor Stephen from Ghana and I mentor him and uh, one of the things we've done as a sent them because they're a small church you know just starting out an equippers church in an African nation it's a different flavor but it's starting to grow and there's about 40 of them but they needed a building so we sent them a whole bunch of money from our impact offering. And uh, I just wanted to show you a couple of pictures. This is a, a mid-ground. Can you have the first one, Nathan? This was the barn at the back of their, their property. And um, they want to build a big building that will seat 300 people. And they're starting to do that. And we're part funding that. But they need this mid-ground. And I said, Stephen, I remember that old barn. And that was it. I remember that old barn. Isn't it a mid-ground? You know, you're believing for the 300-seater, but as 40 people, isn't there a mid-step? And I said, what about converting that? And he said, Pastor Barry, good idea. So the next picture shows what they've been doing. This is what it looks like now. And Saturday, yesterday, they had their first meeting in it, and it looked like this. And I want to encourage you. Because you played your part in that. And I love the fact that here we are in Colchester impacting an African nation. And they, those people are getting blessed. So give yourselves another round of applause. Awesome. Should we pray this message in? Oh, loving the feel in the room. Father, thank you that you're here. We fully engage with your presence. Lord, I ask that you could use someone like me to bless, encourage, and challenge great people like these. Lord, that we would each leave this place better than the way we came in. That we'd go out with hearts on fire for you. We'd go out to impact our places of education, our workplaces, our social groups, our, our streets that we live in. That Jesus, you'd be glorified. So speak through me today, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's got something for you this morning. We've been on this series, and I'm going to round it off today, which we are calling God's House, Our House. And we've primarily focused on the part we play together as people coming together to build God's house. But I want to shift it today as I round it up, because I want you to leave so encouraged that there's two sides to this message. So my title today is God Will Build My House. God will build my house. And I'm going to pack that for you a little bit today. You know, we've looked at the roles we play together because when we talk about God's house, it's not bricks and mortar. You know, we meet in a school, some churches meet in a designated building, some meet in offices, some meet in people's houses. It's not about the house, it's not bricks and mortar, it's the people, isn't it? We are the house of God. And what we get to do is we get to come together and bring our gifts, our energy, our talents and our finances to say we're going to build something that glorifies God and represents heaven well. Amen? So as we get together, that's what we're doing. And as people come in from outside who've maybe never been to church before, my hope is they'll have an encounter with the living God because you showed up. 
And so we're looking at how we are building God's house together. And, but the, the key is, I want you to understand that because you're interested in God's house, God's interested in your house. And I want you to leave encouraged today. And so as we've been looking at the messages through the eyes of people, if God's going to build your house, it's not so much about the bricks and mortar. It's about the relationships. It's about the people you do life with and what flows out of that. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to brush stroke a few things today. I'm not going to go too deep on everything. I want to touch on two or three areas, but my goal is to get your thinking. You are clever people, aren't you? If I stir a little thought in you, my hope is you'll go away and think on that thought and say, okay, God, how do I unpack that in my situation? I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm just going to give you some of the questions, and we can do that together. Amen? Amen. Are you up for it this morning, church? Awesome. So we looked at uh, David last week, uh, and we looked at his passion for God's house. We looked at his passion for God's presence. David was a worshipper, wasn't he? He was about God's presence. But when you look at David's own family, it was actually often quite shaky. You know, let me unpack you a couple of situations. Put yourself into David's shoes right now. His first wife, Michelle, was King Saul's daughter. She was literally a princess. And, and so she had been brought up a certain way. She liked certain things. She had etiquette. She knew how she should live. And she married David. David was a presence guy. David was a worshipper and a warrior. He wasn't so much about the niceties of things. He was about the presence of God. And we find in 2 Samuel um, chapter 6 this moment where he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. And that is where at that time they knew that the presence of God rested. So here they are bringing in the ark, ultimately a big box. They're bringing into the city. And David was proper excited about it. Turn to the person next to you and say, he was proper excited. I preached in Surrey after yesterday, last Sunday evening. And uh, I do like to go a little bit Essex when I go abroad, <laughs> when I go away. And so I said to him, oh, you know, he went proper in there. And they were like, with all Surrey guys, like... David proper got into the worship. The presence of God was there, and David was excited about it. Come on, don't we need to get a bit excited about the presence of God? He got so excited that he was dancing like a crazy man. And his wife, Michelle, looks out of the window like this. What on earth have I married? She looked at him with scorn in her eyes. She was like, you're an embarrassment. They had a conversation. And, and it, it seems, if you read the passage, that he got so crazy in his praise that he got down to his underwear. Let's not do that in our church, but let's get a little bit crazy. That could be proper awkward. But he got down to his underwear, and she's saying to him things like, the maidservants are here, and what an embarrassment you are. But do you know what his response was? You haven't seen nothing yet. I can get far more undignified than this. Now, I don't know what that looks like. But I know this, David wasn't going to be put off. You can look down at me, but my God's presence is here and I'm excited by it. And so therefore he said, I'm going for all in. But Mishael's heart turned hard towards him. And the fruit of that decision was she was never able to have children. This is what's happening in David's own house. That's difficult. He's a guy. He loved his wife. These things were happening. It gets worse. David's, one of David's son, sons was called Absalom. And there was a period of time when Absalom thought, my dad's a rubbish king, I could do better at being king than him. So what does he try to do? Absalom tries to kill David. He tries to kill his own dad, for crying out loud. I don't know how bad it gets in your house sometimes, but I think David's up there. 
You know, he's got his wife looking down at him because he praises God, and he's got his son trying to kill him. You just stay sat there, Josh, right? <laughs> it's not good. Now, I don't know how I would react in that moment, or how I would feel, or how you might feel in that moment, but I know how David responded. He prayed some more. You see, sometimes I think we get so focused on what's going on in our own world that we get unbalanced with our attention and we get off of the answer and onto the problem. And here he is with all these things going on around him, but what does he do? He just praises some more. He says, I'm not taking my eyes off of you. And here's where I want to start encouraging you today because this was God's response to that kind of attitude. And we find it in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. And verses 11 and 12, starting halfway through verse 11, it says this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. I love that. You see, as David chose, despite it all, to keep his full attention on his God, as David chose to worship passionately, what was God's response? You're about my house, so I'm going to be about your house. I will build a house for you. Equippers Church Essex is the same God. Today as then, I want to declare it over you right now. When you get passionate about your God, he will say to you, I will build your house. There must be an amen somewhere in the room. Your situation is not too tricky for God. We've all got stuff going on, ups and downs in life, but I know this, God's always bigger. And so if we could choose to keep our attention on the answer and not focus on the problem, he says, I'll sort it. I will build your house for you. And when we're talking about it, we're talking about legacy. I love it there. I will raise up your offspring. If you follow the genealogy, actually Jesus comes from his line. The son of David is often called, isn't he? So therefore, God really honoured his word over him. I want to declare to you, God's got you. He's got you. He's got your situation. He's got your health. He's got your future. God has got you. And so, of course, you have to do some practical things and you have to think some things through and you have to be wise. Of course, there's a practical side to it. But not so much so that we forget our eyes off of the king of kings. Because when we get our eyes on him, he says, I will build a house for you. That excites me. I hope it excites you. You know, the reality is we can strive to build something of our own. Or we can have faith in a God who says, I'll build it better than you'll ever build it. You know, when I look at my own situation, I stand back and go, wow, that had to be God. I am so blessed. But I know what I did. I kept my eyes on him. When it was difficult, I kept my eyes on him. When I didn't know what to do, I prayed to him. When I was winning, I celebrated with him. And he says, Barry, I'm going to build your house. And it's happening. His heart is the same for you. Amen. I know and I'm well aware you know, of life today. I think we could put quite a strong argument up that life is busier than ever, more stressful than ever, more going on and more pressures than ever. And we're, you know, trying to make money and make a living, pay our bills. We're trying to raise children. We're trying to be good husbands and wives or boyfriends or girlfriends. You know, we're trying to have a social work. Life can be hard and people are tired. Anyone relating to me right now? Yes, a few, a few honest ones. But this wasn't God's intention. Can we go back to the garden? The garden was God's intention. It's how it was always supposed to be. And I want to show you something. Genesis 2 and verse 15, it says this. 
Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. I like that. God's original plan was that we would tend. Tend's a nice word, isn't it? Doesn't sound too difficult. I can tend to that. When you tend to something, it's not very difficult. I go out and I water the flowers and I'm tending them. It's not much hassle. You know, I tend to stuff and, and, and I just like that word. But what happened? Well, let's have a look what happened. The very next chapter, Genesis 3, verse 17. Look what happens. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. We shifted in one chapter from tend to toil. What on earth? And here we are living today, and I'm sure many of us can relate to that word toil. Sometimes it's just a slog. Sometimes it's just hard work. Sometimes I just don't feel I've got enough oomph to get through it. Somehow I do, I keep going, but it is hard. Anyone relating? Tend became toil. Why? Well, let me suggest why. That when man disobeyed God, sin came in. And God cannot cohabit with sin. And so he had to step back. Did he stop loving them? No. But could he cohabit with sin? No. He's a God of righteousness, so he stepped back. He removed his presence. And the moment God's presence was removed, what was always supposed to be tend suddenly became toil. So therefore, church, with our clever minds, what's the answer? If we are striving in toil... We need to get God's presence back in the middle of it because what was tall then become tend. Amen? God's presence is the key. David was on to something. His wife was looking out the window with scorn in his eyes, but David was right all along. We need to dance like David did, get a bit excited about his presence. Why? Because toil will come back to tend when we get the presence of God in our situation because he loves you and he wants to build your house. You can do it. You are clever, hard-working people. You could build a great house, but I promise you there will be toil involved. Whereas if you say, God, I'm going to honour you. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to host your presence well wherever I go. It will become tent and he will build it for you. And I promise you it will end up better. Can you see how presence is absolutely key to our lives winning? God wants you to win. Now he says, I will lead my church in triumph. He wants you to win. I love this kind of stuff. It really kind of stirs me. But here's the great thing. Jesus is God's answer to this situation, isn't he? We know this. You know, I've had to remove myself from mankind because I can't cohabit with sin. Sin's the issue. God says, I've got an answer to this sin issue. And do you know what it is? It's my son, Jesus. Jesus was God's best, his only son. And he gave everything to give us an opportunity. And Jesus came. We know how it ran. He lived a perfect life. He said, I do life. I only do what I see the Father doing. See, he was about presence. I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. It was always about presence. Jesus was demonstrating something to us there. He withdrew from his busy life to spend moments with his Father. And as he got with his Father, he carried him back in the presence of God into the situation. Jesus never toiled, ever. They were on the storm, weren't they? And the boat was all over the place. And sailors were wetting themselves, literally. God, we're going to die. Jesus is just tending to the situation. No biggie. Oh, you have little faith. My God's with us. Just calm down, Storm. 
done. Why? Because he carried the presence of God. He didn't allow toil to get hold of him. And I believe we have done. We can get overwhelmed with stress today by focusing on the work. Or we can focus on our God while still doing the work and we will be able to tend. There's just a shift, and it's a spiritual shift, and it all comes from presence. Jesus stepped in, and he hung on a cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. And it leaves us with this opportunity, doesn't it, church? It gives every single one of us the opportunity to come to Jesus and say, Thank you. You are welcome here. Lead me forward. And he will lead you to a way of living which is tend, because he loves you, and he is our answer. He says he'll build your house. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? You know, I, I, I know that building great houses, you know, life for yourself, it costs. It costs. Who knows? It costs financially to raise a family. All the parents in the room, you can acknowledge that one right now. You know, uh, it costs money to raise the family. It costs money to put food on the table. It costs money to run a car. What about when the car goes wrong and you weren't expecting it? You've got to find that extra bit. Life's expensive. Finance is important to everything. What if we got God in the middle of our finances what if we just said okay god i'm not just keeping that bit separate your presence is welcome everywhere in my life look what it says here in psalm 127 verse 2 in vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat but he grants sleep to those he loves here we are thinking, I've got to put food on the table. I've got to pay the bill. I've got to, got to get that holiday paid for. I've got to do this, that, and the other thing. And we're working late, and we're getting up early, and we're toiling away, and we're doing everything we can in our own strength. And God's like, what? If you'd let me, I'd grant you sleep. I'll do this with you and for you. Here's that word again, toiling, working really hard to pull it all together. We're getting stressed, and because we're getting stressed, we're losing sleep, and then we're working tighter, and it's a vicious cycle. And it doesn't lead to satisfaction, because the reality is, how, no matter how hard we work and how much we get, there will always be the next thing. But when the presence of God is there, we start to enjoy what we've got around us. We start to tend to the things that are necessary. And he supernaturally puts a satisfaction in us with what we've already got. And it leads to peace. Yes, be diligent. Yes, work hard. Yes, have excellence. All those things are good. But remember balance. Remember the first message we gave? We talked about, you know, you can be pulled over here or pulled over here, but actually we need to balance it all. I want to work hard, but I'm remembering your presence. Uh, I want to have spending power, but I'm remembering your presence. It's all about presence. Look at this. I love this. Remember this verse. Proverbs 10, verse 22. The blessings of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Now, I know some people don't like talking about money in church context, but it's there. I didn't write that one. That one's a God one. How do we live with the blessings then? God's okay with you doing well. Well, we live in a way that honors his presence. Because as we honor his presence, he drops thoughts into our minds. He drops things into our hearts. And we start living in a way that honors him and blesses him. And that attracts blessing. And when that attracts blessing, the toil goes out of it. It's all about presence. Hear me now. This isn't a get-rich-quick message. I know there's wrestles in the church of all that. But there is no question, your life will go better when you get the presence of God in every area, because he wants you blessed. So it begs a question, 
Are your finances in an open hand before God? You know, Luke 6, 38, Jesus speaking. Give, and it will be given to you. Proverbs 3, 9, verse 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and then your barns will overflow. Proverbs 11, verse 25. A generous person will prosper. Those who refresh others will be refreshed themselves. So when you just add up, and that, that's three verses out of many we could share. When you add up, what does God get his weight behind? He gets his weight behind generosity and giving. You know, if you're going to make money and do this, God's like, okay, you can have that. That's fine, and you'll work hard for it. Or... You could do it like this and say, God, what do you want me to do with it? And he says, I can bless that because I can use you. Now, I love it. I love it when I hear stories of generosity in our church. I love it when I hear someone's bought someone something or given something. I love it. And I think I love it because I know God loves it. So I don't know. I believe maybe someone will get an opportunity this week just to bless someone financially. And as you do that, you can know you're carrying the heart of the Father. And what happens out of that? Those who are refreshed. We refresh others, will be refreshed themselves. Suddenly what seems like hard work suddenly becomes tend. And it was all about presence in the first place. David was right. Michelle was wrong. He praised his God. What about family? Now, who knows that family can be quite tricky. And if we're building a great house that honours God, we want a, a house that flows in love, don't we? You know, uh, Ephesians 5 is a, is a great section there called Instructions to Christian Households. And it says this, Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 25. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to your husbands in everything, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, I love the language here. We're talking about submission and love. We're not talking about domination and control. We're not talking about authoritarian and with consequences. We're talking about honoring each other. Loving the amazing person next to you with respect. And it leads to kindness and it leads to romance and it leads to generosity, and it leads to laughter, and it leads to health. But I think we can see in today's society that's not necessarily our truth. There's a lot of this that goes on. And I know I've unpacked this kind of thing before in our church life, but I think it's so, marriage is under contest. I think more than half marriages fail now. But you know what's true? I believe it's only about 20% of Christian marriages fail. Why? Because there's something in faith that we're able to do that you can't do without God. And so the, probably the big contest in, the, in society today is wives submit to your husbands. Because all the women go, really? That's a tough one, isn't it? But I always balance it out like this. Husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He died for her. So you put that in the equation. Wives, could you submit to a man who's willing to lay down his agenda, lay down his priorities, lay down his dreams, die to himself just to lift you up? Could you submit to that? Suddenly you think, oh, that's good. The women start to smile in the room. <laughs> but that's what Christ did. Christ loved the church by giving himself literally to death. And so, men, that's a tough call on us. We are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And that means submitting. 
And so you get this picture of this husband bending down saying, it's not about me, I love you so much, I want to lift you up. What's your dream? What do you hope for? You are more important than me. And then a wife is able to respond in a way like this. Wow, you love me that much? Well, but I love you. I don't, I don't want it to be all about me. Actually, what do you want? You're important to me. And she's able to then bend down and lift her husband up. And you get this glorious picture of a husband and a wife both bending down and both lifting each other up. It was always supposed to be love. It was always supposed to be respect. But a world has interpreted that verse about a man dominating a woman. And it was never that. It was about love. It was about respect. It was about dreams. It was about doing it together. And it was about allowing the presence of God in the middle. That's what home should look like. How much more would romance flourish when that was the picture? How much more would laughter flourish when that was the picture? How much together would you, more together would you feel if it was like that? You know, there's a great passage in Psalm 133, and it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when my brethren dwell together in unity. We used to sing it in a church I was in years ago in, in Hebrew. And it goes like this. He name tovu ma nahim shevrahim gam yahad. Now, I'm almost fluent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that means in Hebrew, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. But that word at the end, gam yahad, in unity, together in unity, it really means together, together. The, wo the word gam... It, they, they have pictures, don't they, in Hebrew? They have pictures, and it basically means going and sitting somewhere with no intention of moving. So you, you apply that to a marriage. My wife, I'm here, and I'm here to stay. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. And it's just like, wow. What does that make the woman feel like? My husband is not running anywhere. He loves me. We're in this together. We're going to plan our next 10 years, our next 20 years, our next 30 years. We are staying the course because behold how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. And unity comes when a man is willing to lift up his wife and a wife is willing to lift up her husband and together they start dreaming. Together they start planning. That allows the presence of God into the home and it, it causes flourishing. How good it is when we're in together, when we're in this life together. We can apply that to our homes. I don't know how your, your marriages are represented in this room, but I know this. I bet you could do better. Maybe tonight is a good night to pop open a glass of wine, to look at each other's eyes and say, how are we doing? Husbands, I challenge you. Go to your wife and ask her this question. How am I doing? It could get scary. Wives, be kind, but be truthful. Because when things, problems are brought into the light, they can get healed. But if we keep them in the dark, they're never going to get healed. They're going to fester and they'll come out somewhere horribly. Whereas if you're brave enough to say, look, I love you. I'm doing my best. How am I doing? And you listen and you respond. What happens? had happens. We're in this together. And it allows love to flow and the presence of God to come in and houses flourish. What does that do to your children if you have them or if you're hoping to have them one day? I believe it creates an environment of love for them to grow. I, 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 I like that God's called us to be a lead family in the church. And you see both my children, Josh on drums today, Evie at 12 years old, serving in the children's ministry today. They love it. 
They love God. They love the house. They flourish at home. Yes, it costs me a fortune. <laughs> but they're worth it, you know. They're worth it. And what does it do? I hope if you look at my kids, you'll see uber-confident kids. They know who they are. And they know whose they are. They are uber-confident. That's not by accident, church. That's because Sarah and I have loved each other and loved each other and loved each other and created a house full of love where our children can come in and they can mess up and know they'll be loved. Where they can try something and get it wrong and know they'll be loved. But when they succeed... Their confidence goes like this. And the more they succeed, the better they get and they go somewhere. There's something special about husbands and wives demonstrating a love environment for their children. Look at this in, in the very next chapter in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents as in the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How easy is it for children to obey and honour when they have been demonstrated love and honour? If there's a marriage full of love and honour, the children have had that demonstrated to them and so they will respond in kind. If there's a marriage or tension in the house, why are we expecting them to behave differently? And so there's this idea of, okay, God, if you want to build my house and you're showing me this stuff in, my, in the word, I have a part to play. I could look at the situations I'm in. I could look at my marriage. I could look at the bills. I could look at all kinds of stuff. But actually, if I concentrate on your presence, you're going to do a work in my heart, which will change my attitude to my marriage, change my attitude to my finances, change my attitude to the church, change my attitude to the children, and suddenly blessing comes. Toil turns into tend. Are you with me, church? I love that, that, you know, children shouldn't be exasperated. Don't push them too hard. Don't be so demanding. Affirm them. Affirm them. Affirm You know, as a pastor of 16 years now, so often you get in the front room and someone who, who may be in their 30s, 40s, 50s or 60s and you start talking to them. And do you know so often what problems come from? Childhood. And it's because a mother or a father just didn't tell them they loved them, didn't encourage them, and it, and it wounded them for life. Jesus can heal that. And I've seen Jesus heal that. But as parents today, come on, let's not do that to our own kids. Let's encourage them, amen? Here, here's the thing. We want God's presence to, to, to flow in our home. But it interests me, in the very next passage in Ephesians, it's the armor of God passage. It's the very next passage. So you've got God talking to Christian households, marriage, treating each other well. You've got God speaking into parenting and children. The very next thing he says is keep your armor on. Who knows there is an enemy to your household? Who knows there is an enemy to your marriage? Who knows there's an enemy to your children? Who knows there's an enemy to you, you flourishing in your house? He doesn't want you to flourish. Because then what happens is you start going wrong and we start thinking, oh, God doesn't really love me. He said he'd love me, but he doesn't really love me. And we start losing our faith. Who's winning then? But actually, is it that we've got to take a stand? Because three times in the next passage, it says, stand firm with the full armor of God on. Take your stand. We have to do something, church. There's sometimes we just need to make a choice, despite what I see, that I'm trusting my God. And as we take our stand, the enemy can't hurt us. Because we've got a shield. 
and you can throw things at me that someone said something about you. Well, I don't care anymore because my focus is on the presence of God, so back off. I've got my helmet of salvation on. You know, things might get said about me or to me or I hear stuff around me, but I know my salvation says I'm continually being saved. I'm continually being made more like Christ. I'm not there yet, but I'm on a journey. And that's what's in my thought processes, not the words I hear. We have to take a stand. And as we take a stand, we start to flourish. And then our children are safe and our marriages are safe. And how we feel about ourselves is safe. And our faith is safe. And out of that place, life just explodes. And it's this tension that we're here to build God's house. But he's here to build your house. And we play our part in both pictures. We've got to make wise choices. We've got to intentionally have great marriages. We've got to intentionally have great, be great parents. We've got to intentionally handle our money well. We've got to intentionally manage our time well. But we've also, with all that going on, intentionally say, I'm playing my part in building your house, God. Play my part. I'm going to turn up Sunday and I'm going to be willing to serve and I'm going to praise you mightily because you are awesome. And as we get his presence in the middle of everything, he will build your house. And he wants to. And I've loved, you know, just in talking to a couple of people this morning, there are testimonies coming out of our church already of blessings. Jobs, you know, dramatic job shifts, which have just been like, well, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I just got that job and I never thought I'd get it. Why? Because God's building your house. You know, people meeting each other and romance flourishing. And, you know, I thought I'd given up on that. Well, why? Because you allow the presence of God into it all. God is up to something. And I want to encourage you this morning. I pray that you will leave this place feeling like, wow, I'm important to God. You are so important to God. I love that thought that if you were the only human on the planet, Jesus still would have died for you. You're that important to him. So why wouldn't he be interested in all these areas of your life that you're interested in? He is. He wants to build your house. So our question again is, will we let him? Will we let him? Would you mind standing? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Can I just invite you just to close your eyes? You don't have to. There's no rules. But I think it's helpful. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. I thank you for every amazing, brilliant person you've gathered this morning. It's an honor to be here. We submit to your kingship. We bow the knee. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to walk in your presence daily. Not a moment on a Sunday in church, but a lifestyle. Lord, can I pray for the marriages represented in our church? Bless them. If you're standing with your husband or your wife right now, you know, maybe hold hands. Come on, let me pray for you. It's important. The devil wants your marriage to fail, but the king of kings wants your marriage to flourish. I declare health over every marriage in this church right now in Jesus' name. Whatever seasons of life anyone's in, this is going to be a good season for you. I pray for great communication. I pray for openness and honesty. I pray, Lord, for healing of old wounds. I pray for dreams to flourish again. Visions and goals to aim at together.
I pray for laughter and joy to be a hallmark of these relationships. And I pray both husband and wife would feel honoured and respected, that they could be who you called them to be in their own household. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to pray for every parent in this room. that you would anoint us afresh, empower us from heaven to go beyond what we could do in our own strength and be a parent kingdom style. That our children would grow and learn and flourish. That our children would be confident. That our children would be men and women of faith. That they would go beyond anywhere we've got to. They would stand on our shoulders and go further. I pray protection on our children in their friendships, in their place of learning. Protect them, Lord God, because you can. Jesus. Lord, I pray our houses would be homes of laughter, places of joy, that peace would reign. Lord, we offer up every area of our lives to you and say we need your presence right in the middle of it. We want to honour you. Jesus. Lord, for those who are studying, lots of people in this room studying right now, it's important to us, so therefore it's important to you. Lord, I lift up those studies. I pray, Lord God, that you would enable our minds to be like sponges. We would remember everything that we need to remember. And it wouldn't be toil, it would be tend. We would just flow in it. It would be easy to us because we honor your presence. I want to speak that word success over the church. That everyone here would have success in the things that are important to them as you build their house. That in the next months and the next years, we would all look back and go, wow, something changed that day when I learned to honor your presence. Be blessed, church. Be blessed. Be blessed. Just sensing that there's going to be some conversations around this message. And I want to challenge you to be brave enough to say sorry. None of us is right all the time. But if we're brave enough to hold our hands up and say, I got that wrong, but I'm willing to change... Healing is going to come into that relationship very quickly. And you'll flourish. Jesus. Jesus. Lord. just want to give opportunity as, as we've got our eyes closed and as we've given God our attention. Is there anyone here who feels distant from Jesus? Is that something you want to put right? Is there anyone here who's never been in relationship with Jesus and maybe you're stirred today to put that right? The best relationship you'll ever have is to be at one with Jesus. So if you feel like you're not at one with Jesus today and you want to pray a prayer to put that right, I want to invite you just to give me a wave and we're going to pray together. Is that you today? Just give me a raised hand and I'll spot it and we pray together as a church. Best decision anyone ever makes. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I'm not seeing one today, but we'll always give that opportunity. It's the greatest privilege to put someone at one with Jesus.
Father, we thank you for all you're doing in this meeting today. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be a moment, but it would be a lifestyle. That we would be men and women and we would be a church that honoured your presence all of the time. Be central. I want to declare that word tend over everyone here. Tend, not toil. Tend, not toil. It's the presence that shifts it. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys.